0: Radio presents the rad probcast. Get it? It's a podcast hosted by a guy named Rob. So it's a probcast. Very clever. And now here's your host, a guy named Rob. Welcome to the probcast and our ongoing uh, latest episode in our series, Money Buys Happiness. And if that expression doesn't make any sense to you, and you care... Uh, you want to go back to uh, episode 10 of the Probcast, which was the first installment of the Money Buys Happierness series. Give it a listen, and I explain what exactly that means. We're going to, uh, by request, actually start this Probcast with a deeper dive on buying versus leasing a vehicle, which comes up a lot on the Rad Radio Show. And I don't have time there to really dive into it, not to mention, as with so many things finance and investment related, a lot of people don't care which is part of the problem. We discussed that before. Um, it's a very intimidating subject. I get that. Um, and on a mass appeal radio show where we're trying to talk to as many people as possible and keep them, as, keep them listening and engaged as long as possible, you can't really spend a lot of time going into a lot of numbers, figures, words that people don't understand, are intimidated by. Um, maybe it's not even something they're thinking about right now. You know, on and on and on and on on. So, let's let's get into the the nuts and the and bolts of this. When i say leasing is better than buying, which is my position, it does come with a few presumptions and assumptions and of course there are always exceptions. And i'll give you the big one. I i we, my wife and i do own one of our vehicles. We bought our SUV. Wait a minute, let me back up. Let me back up. Let me make sure everybody understands the difference. When you buy a vehicle, it means that you're making monthly payments and at the end of the term of your contract, you own that vehicle. It's yours, and you can do whatever you want with it. You owe nothing more. When you lease a vehicle, you're essentially renting it, usually for three years. And then when those three years are up, you either have to pay money, a, a, a lump sum, which you can finance through a bank, if you want to buy it, or you got to give the car back. Okay, So that's the difference. So With our SUV, we bought it. And the reason we bought it Is because it's the dog's vehicle and we're going to beat the crap out of that thing. You got a German Shepherd and a Black Lab that you're transporting to and from wherever you're going. We didn't want to have to be concerned with the fact that, oh, we might have to give this car back in a few years. And what condition will it be in or how much will we have to spend? Because when you give a leased car back, you have to give it back in as close to what is the reasonable condition it should be in as when it left the showroom. Normal wear and tear is acceptable, but who knows when you have two big dogs? And we don't know. We might have three or four dogs in the future. Um, There were plenty of reasons that we didn't want that on our head. Plus, we also like the idea of having a nice large vehicle that can be our go-to road trip vehicle. It's big. We can put as much luggage in it as we need to. This is why we took it with us uh, or used it when we went to Las Vegas for the summer. Great great vehicle for driving eight hours to and from because we needed all that room and all that luggage and it's comfortable etc so for example probably a more relatable thing if you have if you just have your third kid and you now have three kids aged one to nine and you're done having kids and you might even have a dog or two you're gonna buy your family vehicle, whatever your family vehicle is for all those reasons, kids beating the crap out of it, drawing on it, puking in it, pooping in it. Who knows what they're going to do much better than that? That example to buy a vehicle. That's about the only reasonable reason that I can see to buy a vehicle, which is where the presumptions and assumptions come in. First of all, let's make sure we understand something. Buying a car is not an investment. It's not. And you shouldn't be looking at it as one. Buying a car in America is for the most part a necessity. We need cars a very few of us can exist. And and even fewer of us can thrive relying on public transportation, ride sharing or other people. It, it's just, it's not feasible. It's it, uh, for, for the overwhelming majority of us, we need cars, especially now to, to the independence that we all want. And also, when you have your own car, you're not in any way subjected to the policies or the whims of other people. So depending on how you feel about uh, mask requirements and things like that, look, cars are necessities in America. So you shouldn't be looking at it like it is an investment. It's not. So when I was getting ready for this, I really had to to go back and do some research and try to remember, what is the great argument for buying a car? Um, The only one, the only one, when you read endless articles online and talk to people, the only argument in favor of buying a car is that you're making payments on an asset. Remember we talked about how when you're done paying... For your vehicle you own it right you now have it um that is loser talk in my head and that part of that presumption is this i am the typical american so when i'm saying these things i'm in this case i'm typical i'm not typical in most ways i i acknowledge that i'm a little but in this way i am a very typical american so i'm speaking to the masses with this we love our cars americans love cars and they want to be comfortable in them, and they want the they want the things that that are in them. We, we and they want we want we want it to look good to our taste. Some of you want to always be able to keep up with the Joneses. That's not part of my calculus, but I don't want to be in the same car five years from now, and and that's why it's that's why it's loser talk to me. Who wants to own a five-year-old car in this day and age? It, with all of the constant advances in creature comforts, technology, safety, styles. And you're assuming? So so here's the thing. When we're talking about when you are making this decision, what you're doing is you're assuming that you're going to have the same style and tastes and lifestyle in 5 years if that's why you're choosing to buy the car. If you're if you're saying I'm buying it cuz when I'm done with the payments I'm going to own it. Okay, great. Now you're stuck with this car. And you don't have to make any more payments on it, true. And it's worth whatever it's worth. You could sell it, true, but then you have to go buy another one. But you're stuck with this car. And it looks, and it rides, and it feels nothing like it did five years ago. And you're looking around, and there's all these other choices that have come out. I, to me, that's just... so. So if you don't share that mentality, if you believe that cars, vehicles, are nothing more than literal vessels. They get you from point A to point B and you don't care at all whether or not you have the latest technology, whether or not it looks good, whether or, or not it has anything to do with the styles of the day, that it's been updated. If, that, if that's you, buy cars. In fact, if that's you, I'm guessing you buy used cars because that's the, that's the, that's the smartest economical way to purchase a vehicle is to buy a used car. And that, that, I, I don't do that. Which, which brings us back to, to leasing. I hate car troubles. It's, it's, it, up until computers, car troubles were the number one most annoying thing that could ruin my day. Now it's, of course, anything to do with your technology, your cell phone. Oh, God, drives you nuts, right? But I, I hate it. And so, attractiveness number one of leasing a vehicle, you're always driving a new car, because most leases are going to go three years. So the car is in the best shape that it's going to be in, and all of your maintenance is handled. So when something does come, well, first of all, maintenance, meaning your oil changes, anything you need done to it that, that's keeping it up with the lease, I mean, unless you signed a really crappy lease, this is all covered under your lease, and you just make a phone call, you take it in, and, and it's handled. And, and, but anything, anything it, that happens to the vehicle is covered under the lease as well, short of a getting in a car accident. But if something does go wrong with this new vehicle, they fix it. And you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to take it to a shop, worry about insurance, any of that. So, so there's a very large peace of mind with leasing a vehicle. And also knowing that if you're driving around in your car after two years and you hear about something new that they've come up with uh, in, in terms of Bluetooth or maps or audio, who knows? You get to go, oh, well. That's what I'll get in my next car that I'm going to get a year from now. Lease payments are also much lower. Um, That's an attractive quality for a lot of people because you're on a tight month-to-month basis. In my case, that's just smart. However much more money I can have in my pocket at any given time to use on something else is always a better deal when I have already recognized I'm not really buying an asset. I'm not investing in this car. By the way, if you're a business owner, and you're not leasing, you're an idiot. This conversation is entirely different for business owners. There are no exceptions. Anyone that owns their own business, you have a business license, you have an LLC, you have an S Corp, whatever. If you are not leasing a vehicle, at least you are pissing money away and you either need to talk to your accountant or get a new one. The, The idea there, of course, is your company pays for your lease. So that's a It's a pre-tax benefit to you before your company pays your paycheck or anything else where taxes get taken out. It pays your lease payment. That's why you have a company, not just for the car, but that's the whole point of owning your own company, because there are things your company can pay for that also serve you well in life or things that you're going to have to pay for uh, in other areas. I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but for example, my company pays for my cable because literally watching TV is a necessity of my industry is a necessity of my job. My company should pay for my cable. That way, I don't pay for it post tax. The company pays for it pre. So, and I could go down the we'll do, you know what? We'll probably do a whole other podcast on why you should own your own business and how almost every one of you can and how it's not nearly as expensive as you think it is. That is I'm going to make a note. That is a great idea for the next podcast. But back to leasing versus buying. The only other thing I saw when I was going through all the research about leasing versus buying was, um, this is from, I think, oh yeah, it's Consumer Reports. It says, if you lease one car after another, monthly payments go on forever. Right, yes. Again, this is a mindset thing. To me, leasing a car, your car payment is a built-in monthly cost. It's like food, electricity, rent, whatever. That That's what it is because again, I'm not going to look to four or five years down the road, pay off my car, and then be so excited that I've gotten rid of my, my car payment because of all the reasons we already discussed, I'm going to want a new car, an updated car, a better car, whatever it is. And, and that doesn't mean, by the way, that if you are in a situation right now where for whatever reason you own your car free and clear and you have no monthly payments, that you're doing something wrong. Remember, we're talking about this from the, the vantage point of when you went into this decision, in my opinion, it's loser talk. To plan and hope to be in a situation where in 2021, you're you're still driving around you're, and, and bragging about the fact that you're still driving around in your fully paid off 2008 Nissan Altima. I don't know why you think that is some type of accomplishment. Conversely, if it's 2021 and you're driving around in your fully paid off 2008 Altima because... You recently got divorced, your life changed, and there's no way you can handle a monthly payment of three, five, eight hundred dollars. I understand. That's smart. That's good money management. All of this, remember, is from the perspective of when you're going into it, why we're making the decision to lease over buy, with very rare exceptions. So to me, the argument that when you lease, your monthly payments go on and on and on, it's like saying, right, exactly, just like the water bill, just like garbage pickup. That's just part of life. The other thing that I found written over and over again that really boggled my mind was people who wrote that the major drawback of leasing is that you can't sell the car or trade it in to reduce the cost of your next vehicle. That is literally untrue. And I saw it written multiple places from multiple sources. That is a lie. That is a total misrepresentation. I'm wondering if this is part of the reason that there is occasionally so much pushback to the idea of leasing is there's just so much bad information out there. Have people never actually tried that? My, we, just, we just leased a brand new uh, LC500 uh, Lexus for my wife. When we did, we traded in her RC that we were leasing. And we had, um, quick math, about six months left on the lease. The car was worth $5,000 more than the residual value pay on, payoff on it. I have never once lost money on a lease. I don't know where this information is coming from. I'll give you another example. My wife drove a Camaro when she first moved back to uh, the Sacramento area to uh, live with me when we were engaged. She drove it for about a year, and it just wasn't her thing. She just didn't like it. So you know what I did? I checked in every month to time out and see when will the car be worth exactly what is owed on it, In terms of the residual value of the lease and the minute we got there we took it to the dealership we gave it back to them they said oh okay well for us to pay off this lease for you it's gonna cost exactly what the car is worth so that's a wash I don't know how in the world people can write the sentence it means you can't sell the car or trade it in to reduce the cost of your next vehicle every Corvette that I had before the one that I own now I took to CarMax they were all leased and sold it to CarMax. Wait, what? I thought I couldn't do that. Yeah, you can. CarMax, it's a little more it's a little more of a process, but that's on CarMax's end. Or whoever, I'm not pimping for CarMax. I they were just they're the ones that are around that are the most I think accessible and relatable to a lot of people. You go in same thing. Hey man, I got a year left on this lease, but I know that the car is worth uh, at least as much as I owe, if not more, they got to call in. What's the buyout? Okay, blah, blah. We'll pay off your lease and then we'll sell it to someone else. That, so if that is the fundamental reason that people are not leasing, that's just bad information and misinformation and you are being lied to. And I can attest to that. And I have all the paperwork for that. The only other thing with leasing that you have to be aware of and are, are things that are meaningless to me. You can't customize the car. Okay, great. I'm not a gearhead. I don't need to put fancy junk on the car that isn't already on it. Just lease a vehicle that is the way that you want. If you want a spoiler on the car, have a a spoiler put on the car when you order it or find one that already has it when you buy it. And the other thing, too, is that uh, and this is just hopefully you, you get advised by this by your insurance agent. Always get gap insurance when you're leasing your vehicle. It's not that much more expensive. In fact, we should have mentioned the the insurance costs are slightly higher when you lease because you have to abide by the terms of your lease to cover things that you might have more flexibility in when you're buying your car. I think they're negligible, but that's obviously a relative thing. They do not, the insurance costs do not offset the amount of money you save monthly when you're leasing your vehicle. That is for certain. But you want to get gap insurance because, like, if your car is totaled in an accident while you're leasing it before the end of your lease, you're going to be liable for the costs that aren't covered by your car insurance unless you have gap insurance. I could go deeper, but it's going to get real boring real quick. That's just something you should talk to your insurance agent about if you're going to go through leasing. That's it. That those that's, that's the symposium on why leasing is better than buying. And if I didn't answer an objection that you have, you need to email me because again, I wanted to be as thorough as possible. So I went in and dug through everything I could find about uh, why buying is better than leasing, why leasing is stupid. And I could not find any objections other than the ones that I've shared with you. And they're all easily refutable as I've just done. So if I didn't touch on something that you either think or know or believe or have heard, feel free to email me. Just email the show, rad at radradio.com. Any email that's important I get, and I'll address them on a future broadcast. In fact, any questions, any topics you want me to hit on, whether they're investing related or, or something else, feel free to do that. I'm always looking for ideas. I'm always looking for um, opportunities to find new subjects and topics like just figuring out that I need to do a whole broadcast on uh, why you should be owning your own business and how you probably can no matter what it is that you do. Um, So please email me things you want us to talk about. In fact, funny aside, Brandon and I, uh, producer Brandon of the Rad Radio Show. Depending on how and why you're listening to this, and maybe you don't know exactly who the hell I am. We were just talking about the fact that Brandon has been doing a podcast, which he calls a prodcast because he is—he was used to be known as Producer Brandon of the Rad Radio Show—and and how difficult it can be to come up with topics sometimes, sometimes the, or the time to do it. It's not always easy to find an hour in the middle of the week. And then you also have to have the motivation, the information, the prep, the topic, and things like that. And so I I always love any type of suggestions uh, for future probcast topics or questions. And I thought for for the, the, the next phase of this one, after talking about leasing versus buying and pointing out that buying a car is not an investment, that that would be a great springboard into a topic that just is I'm passionate about and it drives me friggin' nuts. I've said before, I'm not going to tell you where to invest your money. I can tell you how. And I can also point you in the right direction of who to listen to, things to think about, things to look for. And I tell you stories of ways that I have made money in the past, but I'm not, I'm not that guy. Uh, I'm not with oh, Jim Cramer with all the sound effects. I'm not going to tell you what stocks are going up or down. I am not going to say to you for sure, that you should be buying a home right now or selling a home right now. I will give you my observations. I'll bring other experts on who are are willing to say those things. But what I will do is I will try to help you not lose money. So another episode we're going to do later are ways that you waste money. We touched on that a little bit in the first Money Buys Happierness thing when we were talking about how you can sit down and figure out monthly expenses that you're, you're pissing away, how you're gonna have to maybe realize you don't need to go to Starbucks every single morning before work because doing that is costing you $200 a month, blah, blah, blah. There's much, other, much more other ways that money is wasted. If you view it as a waste because you care, because don't get me wrong, my wife and I waste money all the time because we can and because it improves our lives. So we'll, we'll get into that in a deeper podcast in the future as well. This one, though, what, what we're going to talk about here, I'm calling it worst investments. Maybe it should be dumbest investments or most ignorant investments because really these things that, I, that I've, I've assembled here, these are all things that people go into, for the most part, thinking they're going to make money on when they're not. Like, it's provably known and true. And they'll even say things like, well, it's a good investment. Well, it improves the value of blah, 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 blah. No, it doesn't. With that said, it's similar to the car. I am not in any way telling none of my business or even advising you to not buy these things that we're going to talk about. As long as you don't view them as investments, just like the car. Which brings us, To the number one all-time heavyweight champion of non-investments, swimming pools. Stop saying that they're going to increase the value of your home and that you'll get your money back when you sell. No, you won't. Now, if you're getting a swimming pool because you have kids, what kid doesn't love a swimming pool? I know there's plenty of examples, but most kids love swimming pools. Um... If you love to swim, I love to swim. We have a pool at Williams Manor. It was there when we bought it. Um, If you you just want a pool because you think it's going to make the ambiance of your backyard nicer, great. If you have a dog, my, my German Shepherd swims. Ironically, my black lab doesn't. I don't know what's wrong with that dog. That's another time too. That wouldn't be on a podcast. Well, I could do a whole podcast on dogs. Maybe we'll get to that too. Sorry, I'm making notes for the future as I do this. Whatever your reasoning is that you want to get a swimming pool. Great. Do it. I encourage it as long as you don't think it's an investment. It isn't. In fact, a recent study by House Logic showed that a swimming pool at most, and in very rare instances, could increase a home's value by no more than 7%. And there's a lot of qualifiers in there. The old, the old rule used to be this. Um, if, you, if you spend, like if you get a really nice pool, if you spend $100,000 on a pool, you'll be lucky if it adds $30,000 to the value of your home in the end. And that formula continues no matter how little you add to the pool. Because when you're when you're spending $100,000 on a pool, you've probably got the caves and the slides and who knows how big it is, things like that. $10,000 pool, I don't know how you could even put a pool in for $10,000 these days, but you're going to add about $3,000 to the value of your home. That's an immediate loss. So it's not an investment. It's something you're going to enjoy. It's something you're going to use. You're going to entertain with. That's what a swimming pool is. It does not add value to your own home. In fact, in fact, you have you have to, you know, I get so frustrated when we talk about money because if you are trying to make your money work, you have to understand that the things that you like and the things that you believe are not the things that everyone else likes and the things that everyone else believes. When you put a pool in, you eliminate as many potential new buyers of your home whenever you're ready to sell as you attract. Believe it or not, A lot of people don't want swimming pools some people don't swim some people have dogs or kids and they don't want to worry about the safety issues of having a pool there's a million reasons why people don't want pools they have other interests they have other things they want to do with their backyards gardening's in so any attempt to justify getting a pool under the guise of it is an investment and it will increase the value of your home is provably false not to mention people don't take into account the maintenance and the upkeep of your swimming pool. You immediately either are adding in, once your pool's done, you're, you're adding in the monthly expense of either you buying the chlorine tablets, the acid testing kits, etc., and then doing it, which is a mistake that a lot of pool owners make, they don't keep up on their pools, which means then you have to pay somebody. Well, there's your monthly expense of $100, $150, $75 a month to have a guy come out once a week who will probably ultimately wind up sleeping with your wife anyways. So I'm not sure why you even want to go down that road. The other thing, too, that I I always caution people about with pools is if you have kids, again, this one's kind of a given, depending on how old they are, things like that. How often are you going to actually use it? Now, this has very little to do with in- investing. It's, this is more about why are you spending the money on it? Because if it's like a, a stature thing or a status thing, again, a lot of people don't like pools, so I'm not even really sure why that enters into it. But pools are a thing that for a lot of people, they think, well, what happens is we go through life. And, like, maybe only a year or two, of your hot summers. Oh, my God, if we only had a pool, I'd be in that pool all the time. And then they put in a pool and they jump in it four times uh, in the next summer. Now, again, if you're like, dude, I-, I would use my pool all the time. I do use my pool. I'm not saying that's everybody. I'm just saying that that should be part of the equation that you put in to, uh, to, to buying a pool. There's also... All those little more minor expenses, but they, they add up. Pool, toys, floats. Of course, you're going to need probably new furniture to put around your pool. Um, on and on and on it goes. So just consider all that. But remember, your swimming pool is not an investment. It's actually a money-sucking hole in the ground, literally. But hopefully it brings you so much enjoyment that you don't care and you're at a station in life where you can make that decision. As long as we're talking about water... Let's move to the next one. Boats. Now, again, if you love them, great. Just realize you're literally pissing your money away when you buy a boat. And a lot of us piss our money away to enjoy life. I am going to hammer this home over and over again so there is no misunderstanding here. When I, when I go out to a golf course, well, first of all, we'd have to pretend that I actually pay for golf around here. <laughs> Sorry. If I go to a golf course and I pay $75 for a round of golf, technically, I have just pissed that money away. Now, truthfully and in reality, I just had a great four hours with my friends laughing and, and engaging in an activity that I really enjoy. So it's not a waste of money in any way at all whatsoever. But I, I did just, you know, hand somebody 75 bucks. Get the difference, right? See, I also don't go into golf looking at it like it's an investment, and you should do the same with boats. Boats are a never-ending money pit. First of all, they depreciate exponentially. They lose half their value in as quickly as three years. They are also extraordinarily expensive to own. You've got to keep them somewhere. Now, sure, you, you may be able to keep it at your house, on your property, somewhere. That also means that you already have, if you're fortunate or you're going to have to get, a vehicle that is able to tow that boat. But if you're not keeping it at your house, you have to store it somewhere. And that is not cheap, whether you're doing it at literally like an indoor storage area. That's a that's more common on the East Coast or areas where the winters are are really brutal, Um but you can have it docked somewhere, uh, moorings. Which, by the way, the waiting list too. You've got to find somewhere where you can where, you, where there's any openings. Last I saw, was like I think it was a year long waiting list in most areas um, in boat central uh, centric, yeah, boat centric areas. The maintenance, the upkeep is ridiculous. You have to pay for gas. Of course, you have to get a license. You have to have boat insurance. Um, there is there is also the lifestyle question. Of back to if you're housing it at your house, whether or not your idea of a fun time is is getting up early and, and hitching the boat and, and and towing it and then getting it into the water, and then you get a few hours of enjoyment, and then you have to do it all over again. And I hope you've thought about all of those things anyways, but again, this is something you're buying because you love it, because you enjoy it. I love we were just talking about this on the rad radio show. I love more than anything driving. Boats. I'm not a water ski guy. I mean, I'm talking about uh, motorboats. boats. Um, I, don't, I don't. I. I water skiing bores me. I don't know what it is. I. I yes. I can. I can get up and I can glide along the water. Yay! And then I'm like bored after a few minutes. Same thing with being. What is it when you're drugged behind the boat and you're in a, a raft and like okay. No, I want to be the guy that's actually driving. So I love it. I love driving uh, motorboats. I refuse, however, to spend the money to buy a boat because I don't love it enough to justify all of the expenses that we just mentioned. I did I did talk about, though, that there is a um, an exploding business, brilliant business, uh, and this is the way that you could make your boat a form of an investment. And you'd have to really look into it to do it right. You'd have to research your area, and then you would have to decide, if you're going to do this idea— how much am I going to want to use my boat versus how much am I going to use my boat to make me money? Because they have basically created this entire industry of Airbnb for boats. So people that own boats have figured out that they can rent them to people who maybe are coming to their area for vacation. Let's use Lake Tahoe, for example. The Tahoe Keys Marina, near and dear to my heart, that's where my very first full-time radio station job was. We were literally right there, in the marina at KRLT. I looked out the studio window and saw the boats parked right there. Um, So let's say you own a boat and it's housed at the Tahoe Keys Marina and people are coming to Lake Tahoe and they're like, man, I want to go out and I want to use a boat for a day. Oh man. But maybe the, maybe the, the marina that they're housed in, the rental boats they have, there's only a few. They're so expensive. Hey, they can rent your boat, right? You, you just set it up. They pay you. They take it out for a day. Boom. Done. Now, from, from my standpoint of loving to drive boats and my wife loving to be on a boat, that is a, that is a great thing that we are going to look at whenever we travel to places like San Diego or maybe if we do want to go up to, to Lake Tahoe for a weekend. I think that's, that's a great service to offer. And if you love boating and you don't want to deal with all the crap that we just went through, including the money and the hassle, that's, a, that's an excellent idea. If you want to look at it from the investing side, as I said, you got to really do your research and, and figure out how many people are doing it in your area. Is your area even a draw? How would you market it, et cetera? I still don't think I would – I would certainly not put it under the heading of being yet as rock solid an investment as a second house for renting uh, vis-a-vis like uh, Airbnb would be a much better way uh, to go. But just stop saying that you're, you're going to make money on your boat. It's, just, it's not an investment might be super fun. It's not an investment. All right, next one. This one's probably the one that's the most offensive because this is the one that does get the most people to say that they're, they're literally buying it because it's going to make them money. It's going to be their retirement plan later on in life. I mean, I don't know how many of you actually say your swimming pool is an investment. I've heard it way too much. I, really, I don't really think I've heard anybody recently try to claim that their boat is an investment financially. But this, you do collectibles. Let me tell you a story. Back in mm, early 90s, the Chicago White Sox baseball team used to play at a field called Comiskey Park, which they tore down and they built a new one, which is what baseball teams other than the Oakland A's do now for the most part. Uh, you, you either have to renovate your classic stadium like they did with Fenway or Wrigley Field for the Red Sox and the Cubs, or every 20 to 30 years, just like we were talking about earlier with the cars. There's so much new stuff you can put in a ballpark. Time to build a new one. So they did that. And then they tore Comiskey Park down. And a friend from mine, a friend of mine, rather, uh, who's from Chicago originally, had his sister, who still lived there at the time, go down to the demolition site and get a brick that had been part of Comiskey Park. A brick. It was white it was a white brick looked a little worn but it was a full brick and he had her send it to him and he put it in a case in his house a display case and he he I I went over there one day and he said you know as he pointed at the brick he said that's gonna be worth something someday and I looked at him and said yeah whatever bricks are going for that's all it is it's a brick it, first of all, it had no authentication other than him, based on his sister's word, telling someone that used to be part of Comiskey Park, even if it did, like like if Comiskey Park itself would have been smart enough to gather up all these bricks and authenticate them, you know, official stamp of the Chicago White Sox, this brick used to house the the White Sox, it was part of Comiskey Park, that's not going to be worth hundreds, thousands, that's a it's not going to be worth something. Stop it. Now, if you get a lot of joy out of looking at the brick because it brings back fond childhood memories of going to the games, great. But don't tell me it's going to make you a lot of money. Although, that that story is not nearly as heinous as some of these other ones because he didn't really spend anything. What it cost him? The postage to mail the brick from Chicago to wherever we were at the at the, at the time? Okay. Other things. People that that dive in to these things under the guise of investing and spend a ton of money because this, this is going to be a thing. These are going to be worth so much money someday. Unless what you have is extraordinarily rare in almost every case, there are some exceptions in almost every case, your attempt at making money off collectibles is a failure. We all knew somebody in the nineties who kept buying more and more and more beanie babies because they were gonna be worth so much money. And even within the time the beanie babies were hot, there were very rare beanie babies. And ooh, I finally found whatever the hell the elephant was. I don't know, I don't remember. Unless you happen to have a beanie baby that only six other people on the planet have. Nobody wants your stupid beanie babies now. What are they, ten bucks on eBay? Stupid. Same thing with Cabbage Patch Kids. Now, again, first run, hard to find. They only made a few of them. Yeah, those are worth money to collectors. But what happened was when we were in the middle of the frenzy of Cabbage Patch Kids in the 80s, or yeah, I think it was the 80s, people who started to buy them up thinking that they were going to be able to sell them were reacting more to the fact that they were popular right then and not realizing the only reason they're rare then is because... There was so much demand for them, and they were trying to keep up with supply, but they were making thousands and tens of thousands, probably made millions of them. With the rare exception, they're worthless. Look, you don't need to write into me and inform me that you just found out that the Monopoly game that you and your great-great-grandparents used to play and is in mint condition is now worth hundreds of dollars. That's not what we're talking about. That's what I call valuable junk or accidental value. You find out something that you've kept around, and you kept it around for a reason, like Hey, who cares? It's Monopoly. It's, it's not falling apart. I like the original game. Why do I need a new Monopoly board? What? Oh, really? It's worth $400 because it's from this year and it's in great shape? Wow, how about that? That's not an investment. That's something you, you kept around and you found out, you know, or something you found in your house. And it turned out that it had a lot of value. Th- those things are completely separate from what we're talking about. We're talking about people that go into these ventures believing they're going to make money. Some of my favorite people are people that scooped up baseball cards in the late 80s and 90s. Eh. By then, the cat was out of the bag. Now, this kind of dovetails the two different stories that we were just telling. I have. I have, and I have, I, have, I have carted them around with me since I moved out of the house like a man used to do at the age of 18. 32 years later, I still have boxed up, vacuum sealed, well-kept, hundreds of baseball cards from the 70s and early to mid-80s. Because when I reached, you know, teenage level, 14, high school, I found out there were other things like girls, and I stopped collecting. Those baseball cards are valuable because they were rare, because they didn't make a lot of them. Now, you still have to have the right ones, obviously, the rookie cards and the really great players and all that. But people, and, and people were paying relatively speaking a lot of money when you resold them then in the mid to late 80s and that's why a whole bunch of people started to buy up all these baseball cards in the 80s and the 90s thinking oh this is going to be the same thing no they were making a billion more they're not rare nobody gives a crap about them so the, and the, this is the other part of collectibles is the timing of it we get so caught up in something that that is either super popular thinking that that means it's going to be super valuable later on or we get so caught up in seeing that something is starting to appreciate in value that we think it's always going to that there's always going to be an interest in it this is why collectibles are a fool's errand it's not a smart way to go there are there are some there are some exceptions right now you know the board games right now board games are just worth a ton of money so so for example if you wanted to look at that as an investment If you want to go out to garage sales every weekend and hope that you find somebody who doesn't know any better, who's selling a board game that's in pretty good shape from uh, centuries, from decades ago, knowing that you can then put it on eBay and make a few hundred dollars on it. Okay, great. Then yes, you're buying that as that is a collectible bought as an investment, good for you. Right now, and I don't know how long this trend is going to continue, but we are right in the middle of it, sneakers. Man, is there a lot of money to be made on the collectability of, of sneakers. Obviously not every sneaker is a collectible, but those limited edition styles, which are almost always made by Nike, the various um, different types of Jordans, and some of those people are, I mean, I'm sure you've seen, you probably have seen, um, some of these famous celebrity athletes and and uh, singers and other, They have they have showcases of all of these sneakers in their homes, and they will spend thousands of dollars on them. And again, if you wanted to get into that or you, you're very knowledgeable about it, sure fine you're but that's that to me that's almost more like flipping a house because in most cases, if you're going out to to buy something with the immediate intention. ...of selling it within a certain amount of time when you know or believe it's appreciated to the highest point it's going to... ...that's not really the collectible thing that we were talking about. What we were talking about is you're in the middle of it and you're saying that thing... ...well, these are going to be worth a lot someday. Right. Whatever bricks are worth. Star Wars stuff. Star Trek stuff. Okay. If you have unopened, in great condition stuff from either of those franchises... ...it does usually appreciate in value... Don't know how much longer that's going to go on. And and, and the, the thing the thing that you're calculating there is that those two franchises and others like them, they just have seemingly endless fan bases. So, sure, there's a lot of opportunities uh, in, in those areas as well. But for the most part, stop saying your collectibles are going to be worth something someday. Your precious moments figurines and your hummels are worthless, again, with rare exception, and you better have a very rare one. What about people who collect pens? That's a weird one. Yes, I have a Mont Blanc uh, collection of, of pens. They're going to be worth a lot of money. Well, first of all, you just paid $1,000 for a goddamn pen. And second of all, really? All right, last one. This is just a general tip, and this is right about investments. Don't invest in things that you don't understand and you can't explain. Don't, don't come to me and tell me that you're looking at annuities if, if you can't tell me what annuities are and how they work. Uh, people do this a lot. People say that uh, whole life insurance is a great investment, but they can't actually explain to you how betting on yourself to die is a great investment. Cryptocurrency. A lot of you have written in about cryptocurrency. I'm not in cryptocurrency. It's not because I'm anti-cryptocurrency. It's because I don't understand it, and I haven't done the time to look into how it is that some people are making a lot of money on it, and other people are losing their shirts i'm not going to invest in cryptocurrency because elon musk tweeted about it i don't understand people that invest in things they can't explain and they don't understand and that should be true of anything. if you're buying stocks if you're choosing your stocks and you've never heard of the company why are you doing it are you doing it because some guy told you to on tv did your financial broker tell you it was a great investment and you trust her so much you're just going to say yes? I mean, that's one way to go. You are having somebody who's trained in it do it, but no one's going to take care of your money more than you are. If you're, if you're investing in a company and you've heard of it, but you can't actually explain what they make or how they work or what they do, I'm not really sure why you're investing in that company. You need to know. You need to be able to intelligently explain to yourself, let alone anyone else who asks that is, is that's their business, why this is such a good investment. And if you can't do it to yourself, then I don't know why you're doing it. Rob says is not the reason to invest in something. I appreciate the fact that you trust me, but it shouldn't be, well, because Rob said we should, it should be because... We trust Rob, and he laid out a very compelling case for how this investment could really turn into something if all of these things go right, because that's what investing is. No matter what you're talking about, investing is a bunch of coulds and ifs and maybes and what ifs. No matter what, go back to the housing market. If you're thinking of buying a house, to use as a rental property, there are no guarantees that that is going to work. Think about someone who bought a home in February of 2020 to use as a rental property immediately and then saw the country get locked down. And if he didn't have the money that he needed to make the payments on that rental property because he needed to have investors, I'm sorry, he needed to have guests coming there at least Four every month, every, you know, every weekend had to be filled. That was his calculus. Well, hey, if we can just get four people to come, maybe he only needed one. I got got a lot of friends who do this. And literally because of the location of the house they got there, they only need one guest every month. They need a weekend. They need one weekend filled. And that alone pays the mortgage on that house and makes them a little bit of money. But guess what? In March and April, And May of 2020, no one was renting any houses. Sure, the market came back, and now it's a really good idea. Again, I am not telling you not to go down that road. I think that's a brilliant way to make money. But there's a lot of ifs and a lot of huns and a lot of whats. We could lock down again. The economy could crash. Inflation right now is through the roof. Eventually people are going to have to cut back and vacations may be what they cut back on. But whether it's that or anything else that you're looking at investing in, there's so many things that have to go right for all of them to pay off that you need to understand first the risk. You need to be ready to ride it out and you need to be comfortable with the fact that you might not get the money back. That's why investments are a gamble, and that's why they can be so rewarding, and that's why you shouldn't be doing stupid things like saying your swimming pool is going to increase the value of your home because it's not. But I really hope you enjoy it. I love my swimming pool, and I hope you do too. That's the whole point of why we make money, why we work so hard, is so that we can then enjoy the fruits of our labor. But we got to be smart about knowing the difference between buying something or doing something genuinely because we just enjoy it or claiming that it's an actual investment. Thanks so much for joining me on uh, part two of Money Buys Happiness and thanks for already giving me some more ideas on future podcasts as it relates to money investing and please feel free to send in any other thoughts, suggestions, questions, comments, you want to argue about something, email the show and uh, we will get to it on a future podcast, rad at (laughs) radradio.com Did you enjoy this episode of the Rad Probcast? Send an email to rad at radradio.com. A new episode of the Probcast premieres anytime Rob feels like doing one.